it is frosty out there. It's damp. Uh, you can kind of see your breath. It's that kind of that kind of crisp cold. You can see your breath, and it's a constant reminder to them how short and how shallow uh, their breath actually was. Yeah, as the damp Middle Eastern climate that was problematic made it hard to get a deep breath, but it was also maybe the the 10 days of travel by foot over 90 miles from Nazareth uh, to Bethlehem is heavy, uh, is cold. Traveling by foot, nine months pregnant. Uh, but I don't think that was it either. It's, it's the anxiety. It's the, those thoughts, those relentless thoughts that just keep hammering, hammering, hammering away. They won't leave you alone over and over again. She turned the story every single time from the perspective of a different friend or a different family member, how her and Joseph's situation must have looked to people. They both had the reassurance. They had a messenger, an angel of the Lord come and visit them and reassure them, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. You can trust the Lord. This baby that is in Mary is not due to her promiscuity. It's not due to her lack of of faithfulness to you, Joseph, this baby is a gift of the Lord who visited you through the power of his Holy Spirit to fulfill hundreds of years of prophecy and come to the world that he created and that he loves. Do not be afraid. I'm working something here. I've got a plan. They had that reassurance, that reminder from the Lord, but still it was heavy because they were all the while staring down the barrel of a a Jewish religious honor, shame culture that would surely not understand, would surely not believe them. How could this have happened? A young couple engaged to be married for all intents and purposes, bound legally, but not yet living together, sleeping together. They had the reassurance of the Lord. They knew of their innocence. They knew that God was up to something. But how would this look to people? It was heavy. And on top of that, because it's not, it's not hard enough to be 15 years old and pregnant and travel 90 miles by foot and go through the pain of labor as a teenager, let's do it in a barn because there's no room at the inn. Surrounded by smells, surrounded by animals, barnyard animals, sheep and goats, their groans as they're awakened from their slumber, drowned out only by Mary's own screams as she goes through the pain of labor and contraction after contraction, giving birth, no comfort for her. She tries to lay back on a bed of hay, but only the damp prickles of wet, cold hay poking into her back. It was heavy. Yeah, it was heavy because of the, the travel and the nine months pregnant and and the, the rations that they had to bring, the bread and the olive oil, soaked through with the wet, whipping wind of the Middle Eastern winter climate, soaking them through. And yeah, it was heavy because of the, the, the wineskins full of water, fresh water for the journey, but it was heavy because the situation was heavy. It's the story behind the story, behind the neat and clean and polished up nativity scene that we often see and we often think about in Christmas. There's a messy, dirty, gritty story behind the story. And that's why I love reflecting on the Christmas story, because that is true for every single one of us here today. Mary and Joseph, a young teenage couple, they are cold, they are dark and afraid, and they are exhausted. They are a mess. 
And that is where God decides to show up in the world, to step into time and space in human history and come to the world in the middle of their mess, in the middle of their pain, in the middle of their brokenness. The only thing they had to hold on to was this promise of God that no word of the Lord will ever fail, that what is impossible for man is possible for God. That is where God chose to show up. And that is true for every single one of us here. We come to Christmas, we come to life You know, behind the polished up, cleaned up veneer, the exterior that we put forward, man, the the image that we try to portray. Like, look at this. I'm wearing a button-up right now. It's still Lulu, but I'm wearing a button. This is for you. Merry Christmas. This is your gift. Matt over here, he's he's got a vest on. He looks like young Colonel Sanders. Look at this guy. But behind the cleaned up exterior, right, there's pain. Man, there's family squabbles. There's exhaustion. There's every single flight in all of Canada getting canceled. I was told when I moved from Edmonton that I would not have to deal with this anymore. (laughs) Lies. But behind the scenes, right, the story behind the story for every single one of us is there's brokenness, there's pain, there's anxiety, there's exhaustion. We are a mess, right? And this looming question that that was, was there with Mary and Joseph Is there a God who knows me, who knows my circumstance, who loves me, and who can actually meet me there in the midst of it? Not once I clean it up. Not once I try to make myself better and work hard enough to make myself better. Is there a God who can meet me and wants to meet me right in the middle of that? And that's why I love Christmas, because the definitive answer that the Christmas story gives is yes. That is who God is, and that is what God is does time and time again, man. The church is a mosaic. It's a tapestry. Every single individual, a piece of the puzzle, a unique and special story of somebody that was a mess that God met in the middle of their messy, gritty lives who saved them, redeemed them, forgive them, put their feet out of the muck onto solid ground. That is who we are as a church. If you're new here joining us, man, we say this often, but the church is not a country club It's a hospital. It's not a space for cleaned up, nice, neat, and tidy religious people who think uh, that they've cleaned themselves up enough for God. It's a space for hurting and broken people who know that they need a healer, who know that they need a savior. And the Christmas story says just that, that God does not dwell in cathedrals with stained glass windows. God dwells in messy, gritty barns with animals in messy spaces. He dwells around dinner tables. He dwells in living rooms. He dwells in messed up old movie theaters, right? He dwells in the mess of your family situation, your relationships, your pain, your brokenness, your hurt, your work, your office, the gym, wherever you go. That is where God chooses to to dwell. He doesn't just work in good and holy and religious people and he works in the mess. He works in the brokenness. And man, some of us, it's so easy to start to think, that I'm so far gone, I'm so broken, I'm such a mess, the situation I'm in, these things that I've done, the guilt and the shame that I'm carrying, the mess that I've made in my relationships, in my life, whatever. Man, if I could only just get better and clean myself up, then maybe God could meet me there and do something with me and use me and forgive me and change me and change my story. And the Christmas story says, no, those things that you're thinking of, that is exactly what God wants to use. Not because of you, but in spite of you. 
right? And the Christmas story is a reminder that we do not have a God who is distant and abstract and detached. The gospel is not an idea that stays up in the head. It is a flesh and blood living, breathing reality that is not just to be, to be known in the head, but is to be tasted and lived and experienced in the messy, gritty realities of real life with real people. Uh, there's an author named Frederick Buchner, and he puts it this way. He says, For what we need to know, of course, is not just that God exists, not just that beyond the steely brightness of the stars there is a cosmic intelligence of some kind that keeps the whole show going, but that there is a God right here in the thick of our day-by-day lives who may not be writing messages about himself in the stars, but who in one way or another is trying to get messages through our blindness as we move around down here knee-deep in the fragrant muck and misery and marvel of the world. That's the Christmas story. And so my question for you this morning is in the misery and the muck and the mess, but the beautiful marvel that is your life right now, where might God be trying to get your attention? What might he be trying to say to you, not in spite of the mess that you're dealing with, but in the midst of it? What has God been trying to say to you? This is an invitation to start to think about and have your eyes open and to be aware of God, where God might be moving in your life, what he might be using, the good, bad, and the ugly, to try and get your attention, to try and call you to himself, to try and show you how good and awesome and powerful he is, how much he loves you. This year, as we start to think about 2022 coming to a close and starting a new year, what is God trying to tell you that you need to leave behind? What is he trying to tell you that you need to start doing, stop doing, keep doing through the blindness, through the muck and the misery and the beautiful marvel of your life? Where is God moving? Just something to be aware of, guys. If you are a Christian, if you are bored of your Christianity, if you're bored in your relationship with God, that is not because Jesus is boring. It's because you are not aware, you're not thinking about, you don't have your eyes open to where he is moving in your life. This is an invitation to start to see in the good, bad, the painful, the joyful, where is God moving and working? What is he trying to say to you? We have a God who enters in, not who stays distant, but who meets us right where we are and wants to change your story with his story of redemption. How does he do that? I'm going to read for you a version of the Christmas story um, that you might not think of as a Christmas story. Maybe you've never actually even read it yourself before. Um, It's probably not the version of the Christmas story that you're putting on like a cute Instagram post um, or like your little nice family Christmas card that you send out that sits on my mantle so I get to see you every day. Um, It's in Revelation 12, verse 1 to 12. I think we've got it. It says this. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven, behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. 
And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, but her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nursed for 1,260 days. Now war arose in heaven. Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they love not their own lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. Different version of the Christmas story, hey? It's a red dragon, right? It's the story behind the story. The Apostle John who wrote this, he wants us to be aware that there was something, a grand cosmic spiritual reality going on behind the scenes of this baby born in a manger, John wants us to not be able to just domesticate and declaw and cozy up the Christian message, the Christmas story of Jesus born in Bethlehem. John wants us to be aware that what was going on as Jesus was born was this grand cosmic spiritual reality that behind every single evil, every single bit of brokenness that we experience down here in the world, every bit of of racism and evil and lying and deception and lust and sexism and, and injustice and all these things that we experience down here that we participate in and that we see happening, that happen to us. There's actually a cause, a spiritual cause behind these things. There's actually a puppet master pulling the strings who hates God, who is the enemy of God and who is our enemy as well, who hates you, wants to destroy you, wants to rob you of joy, of peace, of hope, and keep you from the life that is offered to you in walking in relationship with God who wants to destroy your life and actually condemn and destroy your soul in hell for all of eternity. Merry Christmas, guys. See <laughs> Blessings. Right, but that's the reality. Right? A guy called uh, Eugene Peterson, he's a pastor and an author, he says this about this passage. It is St. John's spirit-appointed task to supplement the work of St. Matthew and St. Luke so that the nativity cannot be sentimentalized into coziness nor domesticated into worldliness. This is not the nativity story we grew up with, but it is the nativity story all the same. Jesus' birth excites more than wonder. It excites evil. 
right? This cute little story of a baby born in a manger. This was actually the God of the universe who holds the stars in his hands. Come to the world he loves. Come to the people that he loves to wage war. That's what it says, to wage war in heaven against the forces of evil and darkness with his perfect light, right? To come in, dethrone the dragon, to take down the dragon. It says the dragon was thrown down. That word in Greek, it, it literally is bounced, And I thought that was pretty cool, kind of like gangster, like the dragon got bounced, son. Right? Jesus came to bounce the dragon. He came to throw down the forces of evil, to destroy them, and to take his rightful place on the throne, ruling and reigning over all of his creation, over his world, over his people, and to make a way for us to get a piece of that, to participate in the victory that Jesus won by what he did, to offer us again the life that we forfeited, the life that we traded in for a counterfeit version by saddling up with the dragon, by participating in sin and evil of the world. We're not innocent. Our deepest issue, our deepest problem, our deepest need is that we have participated with the dragon. We have participated in evil. Sin is our deepest and most urgent issue. And that is what Jesus came, God came to actually deal with. How? Verse 11 said it, by the blood of the Lamb. Because this baby who was born did not stay a baby. He grew up and he lived perfectly. He lived perfectly the human life that we were actually designed to live, but failed to live. Jesus came and lived that life on our behalf so that he could be the perfect sacrifice, voluntarily choosing to lay down his life on the cross in our place to pay the debt for our sin, for saddling up with the dragon. And there's this beautiful thing in John's gospel where Jesus is hanging on the cross and as he breathes his last breath, he says this word in Greek, tetelestai. And it literally means it is finished. Done. Paid in full. What Jesus was doing on that cross by the blood of the lamb was paying the price that we owed our very lives for our participation in evil. Why? So that we can have eternal life with him, so that we can have the life, life abundant and full that we were designed to live, that we were made to live, that he calls us to live, so that we can enter back into that life now and for all of eternity. Jesus came to make a way for us to choose life rather than choosing evil. We have on one hand, we have the dragon, we have evil, who uh, he's called Diabolos, the devil, the ancient serpent. It's what we just read. Diabolos, that word means uh, accuser. It means deceiver, because that is what he does. He holds our sin. He holds our brokenness in front of our face and beats us over the head with it and holds shame over us. He holds it in our face. He, he, He accuses us. He says, you're condemned. You're worthless. You're meaningless. You're nothing. You're evil. Look how wicked you are. That's the guilt, that's the shame that we feel when we participate in evil. But then on the other hand, you have the gospel. You have what Jesus came to accomplish, which says, no, in Christ, there is therefore now no condemnation. Because of the blood of the Lamb, you are made new. You are forgiven. Tetelestai, it's done. It's paid for. And instead, walk in newness of life. Walk in freedom from the fear of condemnation. Walk in the freedom of that only Jesus 
can offer. Man, when we come to the end of a year and we start to think about a new year ahead and some of us make goals, some of us you know, make resolutions that you know, you're not going to keep after like January 12th. Um, but when we're thinking about what we want this next year to be about, man, Jesus came to offer us life. John 10.10, 10, he said, I came that they may have life and have it abundant. God could not be any more clear that the life that we are pining deeply for in the depths of our soul is found only in walking in relationship with the God of the universe. That is what he made us for. And that is exactly, that's the magic of Christmas, man. That's what Jesus came to purchase back for us and offer us life free from sin and the results of sin, free from fear of condemnation, to offer us life meaningful and abundant and full And so the question is, are you walking in that life right now? What would it look like to actually live and and not just exist? Jesus came so that we might not just exist in this meaningless existence, but that we might actually have life deep and abundant because we're walking with him, Emmanuel. We sing this word, Emmanuel, in all these Christmas songs. Emmanuel, Emmanuel, it means God with us. That's the point of Christmas. God came to us not just to forgive us of sin, but so that we might walk daily in his presence, in his spirit, in his power. That is what is offered to us. And so as we close up this year, man, as we, as we go into a new year, and I just want to ask you, what, what have you been too busy to pay attention to? Right In the muck and the mess and the misery and the marvel of your life, the busyness of family life and work and relationships and all these things that you're doing, what has God been trying to get through your blindness? Are you really living? Are you really actually walking in relationship with God? Or are you just coasting? Because when we realize and when we think about, when we live from a a lens, a perspective of of what God actually came to offer us, man, we start to realize that there's actually, there's no such thing as an insignificant moment. This is what's been striking me lately. Um, I had a, a, a friend of mine who I studied with, uh, did my undergrad with, and he was a physio here in, in BC, 29 years old. Um, his life was taken uh, a few months ago. And uh, at his memorial, you know, the common sentiment always in that situation is, you know, he was so young. He was too young. This is too early, Right? And knowing this guy, he was electric. He loved God so much, but man, he, he seized every day. He seized every moment. He was someone who just like, oh, he was squeezing the, the marrow out of life. Every moment that you were with him, he was so dialed in. Every hangout was an adventure. Every moment was special because he's like, man, God's here. What's God doing? God is with us. What are we doing? What are we doing, Lord? And the, the message that just came through time and time again at his funeral from his own family was Aaron lived more in 29 years than most people do in 80. Right? How is that possible? He lived more in 29 years than most people do in 80. It's because life is not measured in seconds or minutes or days or years or whatever. It's measured in how we use it, man. There's no such thing as an insignificant moment. There's no such thing as an insignificant day because it is a moment or a day 
that we can walk in the presence of the God of the universe. Every family meal gathered around tables, man, breaking bread or sushi like we did last night for Christmas, kind of weird, or pad thai or soup or whatever, and drinking wine or, if you're Baptist, water, bubbly. But just enjoying, man, tasting and savoring that God is with you, that that is a moment that is a gift from God. And as you sit around and enjoy food and drink and company of the people that you love, man, it's a gift. And every time that you do that, you're celebrating the supper of the Lamb. You're celebrating the feast in heaven. You're celebrating that the victory is won, that the dragon is thrown down, that there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Can you savor that, man? Make the most of these moments. And that's exactly what we're going to do. We're going to move into a time of communion now. And um, this is how it works. We've got, we've got bread and we've got juice on both sides. There's gluten-free on this side if, if that's something that you need. But um, this is, man, like I said, the gospel is, is not an idea in our heads. It is a living, breathing, flesh and blood reality that we are meant to taste and experience. And so that is what we do with communion. That's why we have bread and juice is because we're, we're tasting, we're savoring as we remember the blood of the lamb, what God actually came to do at Christmas time. And I just wanted to ask a couple questions as we do that, as you come forward to take uh, the bread and the juice. And this is something that, um, obviously with the symbolism of it, this is something that, that we do if you're a believer and a follower of Jesus. And if that's not where you are right now, uh, first of all, um, feel no pressure to participate in that. You can just chill out, listen to the music. But, man, if you feel that God is speaking to you, if you feel that this is the moment where you want to stop existing and start living, that you want to lay the guilt and the shame that you're feeling, the longing deep in your soul that you are feeling for real and lasting, everlasting life, and you want to give your life to Jesus and just say, yes. I want to receive him. I want to receive the presence of God with me and live for him and follow him. This is a moment where you can do that and just set that in stone and seal it by taking the bread and the juice. But as we do that, as we sing, just a couple questions for us. Through the muck and the marvel of your life right now, what has God been trying to say to you? What has he been trying to get through to you? Um, We read in our passage that Jesus is on the throne. He's ruling and reigning. He's on the throne of the entire universe. But the question still remains for us, is he on the throne of your heart? Even if you call yourself a Christian, is he on the throne of your heart? Are there areas of your life that you are trying to hold back from him? Areas of your life where you're not walking in obedience to him? Areas of your life where you're not walking in intimate relationship with him? Are there things you need to right now surrender to him? And the last thing is just, man, we sing this song, uh, Joy to the World, right? And, and there's this line, let every heart prepare him room. I think sometimes we just blow right past that line, but that struck me this year. Let every heart prepare him room. Is there even room in your heart right now for the presence of God and what he might want to do in you right now, this year, moving into a new year? Or is your schedule, is your life, is your heart, is your mind so jammed up with all the stuff, all the commitments, all the whatever else, that there's not actually room for you to hear the voice of God? Where do you need to prepare your heart, prepare him room? In every room. If you think about your heart like a house, 
There's different rooms, man. There's a living room. There's a dining room. There's a bedroom. There's a bathroom. All these different areas of your life. Don't just let God into the, the atrium, the shoe room. Do you need to welcome him into every intimate part of your life right now? Are there areas you're trying to keep from him? Man, are there, are there things, are there just disciplines that you need to recommit to? Do you need to stop making excuses for yourself this year? Are there spiritual gifts that God has put in you that are laying dormant right now? There's a scripture that says, fan into flame the spiritual gift that God has put in you. Is this the year where you need to fan into flame the spiritual gift that God has given you? Do you need to stop walking in fear? Fear of what people think of you? Fear of what you might look like? Is there a conversation you need to have? A person you need to reach out to? Do you need to change some of the habits of your daily life to make room for what God might want to do in and through you? I'll just encourage you in this reflection time, in this communion time, bring that to God. Lay that before God. Just pray an honest prayer in your heart wherever you're at right now. We're going to do that and then we're going to sing and we're going to celebrate the victory of Jesus that the dragon is thrown down that we have freedom and we have life, life meaningful and abundant and everlasting in the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you so much. We can never thank you enough, Lord, for who you are and for what you have done and we celebrate that especially now at Christmas time. And Father, I just pray right now that exactly where every single person right here in this space is with their life, there is anxiety in this place, Lord. I know it. There's stress in this place. There's pain, very real pain in this place. And I just ask, Holy Spirit, right now that you would meet every single person right where they are that you touch hearts and minds right now, God. That you would speak. That you'd fill us. That you'd give us the honesty, Lord, to do business with you right now, to do whatever it is that we need to do to take that next step of faith in following you. Lord, that there be surrender of areas that are not yet surrendered to you in this place. And that, God, as we go today to our family meals and our celebrations and our food and our wine and our presents and whatever we're doing today, our movies, everything, Lord, that you would be in it, that you would infuse our lives with life, real life, that is only possible in your presence, God. What a gift that we can do life with you in your power, in your spirit, in your presence, would that be the reality for each of us here today and not just today, but moving forward into this year, Lord? Whatever's coming, we trust you with it. And we pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.